Hey, everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. What happens when you start trying for children and then you realize that maybe it's not possible for you? Today, we're talking about fertility and infertility and that large looming question that seems to somehow find its way to all women. And that is, do you want kids? That question can affect so much in our careers, in our decisions, and in our lives. Today's guest is anonymous. We're calling her Anne. And she takes us through her own journey and how that question affected so much of her life and how it changed over periods of her life. That question, do you want kids, can start being asked of people as young as six, seven, eight. When you grow up, do you want to have kids? Do you want to be a mommy? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that question. And then that in turn informs so much of your identity. For some people, they know the answer to that question or they think they know the answer to that question and they have security in feeling that way. Yes, I definitely do. No, I definitely do not. And for others, they lie in ambiguity because they're not quite sure. Again, in your 20s, you're confronted with this question. How will your choices about parenting and family affect your career and the job that you do? Does it change the decisions you make? Do you try to work faster, get more done, climb the career ladder quicker, launch a venture earlier, all in the name of making it all work? And then fast forward to your 30s and even your 40s, and the question might change again and become, what if you never become a parent? What if you finally realize that you do want children and you also realize that it's not physically possible? These are some of the questions we're asking today, one-on-one, -on -one, with our guest, who called me to ask if she could share her journey of fertility and infertility and how it coincided with her entrepreneurship path. She is very brave and shares how much she is in limbo throughout all of it. So I have so much gratitude for today's guest for being brave enough to share her story and tell it to the world so that we could all listen in. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Life can be really unpredictable, especially when you're getting ready to add a baby to your life. The sponsor of this episode, Aeroflow Breast Pumps, is dedicated to making the hassle of getting your breast pump a little bit easier. Actually, a lot easier. Head to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup to have them help you qualify for a free breast pump through insurance. And stick around because at the end of this episode, I'll walk you through how it works and tell you a little bit more of how Aeroflow breast pumps can save you so much time. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. All right, everybody. Today we have a guest who is anonymous, and we are going to call her Anne. And we are going to talk about the fertility journey. I'm so grateful that she is on the show and that she's sharing her story with us. So welcome, Anne. Thank you so much, Sarah. So let's start first with your work and your career background. Where has your journey taken you as a professional? And what kind of work do you do in the world? 
I'm originally from Europe, and I've lived in a lot of different places in the U.S. and in Australia, South Korea, in Africa. And my husband is from the U.S., and together we live in Africa. And it's been an amazing journey to discover what your work can look like in these different contexts. So I'm a branding expert, and I run a branding agency that takes on all different types of shapes and sizes, depending on what, what the culture is that you're working in. So with all of this as context, one of the things that we specifically wanted to talk about on this podcast was about the parenting journey and also the fertility journey and everything that goes into thinking about pregnancy and thinking about children. I know there's a lot here. So where, where do you want to start? Where does the parenting journey start for you? It's a journey that starts really early. I was just reflecting on this the other day that, you know, already when you're six or eight, you're asked by people, do you want to have children? Yeah, it's an interesting thing that this defines kind of your identity, I think, whether you want children or not. And I was never very decided on the question until I met my husband. And then I knew for sure that I wanted to have children with him. It's so interesting that already in your 20s, you're confronted with this question and you have a lot of fears about how parenthood will influence your career. And I certainly made a lot of decisions out of fear when I was in my 20s of, you know, wanting to get very far in my career quickly so that I couldn't be kicked out if I would get pregnant. But now I'm in my late 30s. I'm building my own business, so no one can kick me out, which is a great advantage, of course. All of a sudden, you're facing the question of, you know, what if I never become a parent? Because it's just physically not possible. That's a whole new start to a whole new phase of your life, potentially, a kind of next phase of your life when you know there's never going to be a child. So where are you in that journey right now? What does it look like to be in that place where you want to have children, but you're not yet pregnant or you don't know what's coming next? And correct me if I'm wrong, am I summarizing that the state that you're in correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's this kind of limbo where you're not 100% sure that this will be the case. And it's an interesting thing being in the middle because it means that you don't have any of the kind of, you know, hopes and joys of this prospect of having children, but you're also not yet in the full mourning stage of knowing that you can't and will never have kids. And so I go back and forth between the two and very interesting is that this makes for, a, yeah, obviously a rocky emotional experience. There is so much here that I want to unpack with you. And as much as you are willing to share, I invite you to share as many details as possible. Because for so many women listening, we don't hear all of the details of these kinds of stories. We just hear fragments or like from an outside perspective. So the privilege is really ours in you letting us hear this journey of yours. Can you talk about how long ago you did start trying and, and what it's been like? And what are the next steps for you? Take us through this journey. We started trying about a year and a half ago. So I think in this sense, we're pretty lucky. I know people who've been trying for five, six, seven, eight years. And so I could definitely call myself quite new to this infertility scene, which it unfortunately is. There's a lot of people who are struggling with this. The reason why we got into testing quite quickly is because 
I wanted to make sure before we got pregnant that everything was in order. And pretty quickly, that turned out not to be the case. And I think what's interesting about that is that it really says something about your personality. You learn a lot about yourself because I went from, you know, being relatively sober about the prospect of, you know, I wasn't so excited to get pregnant because I knew that there might be a chance that I wouldn't be. So I kind of curbed my enthusiasm. And then when that turned out actually to be a good thing, because I wasn't actually able to get pregnant naturally, that was a big blow. And it's amazing how deep you can sink in about a year and a half's time. And we feel like we've been trying to have a baby for 10 years because <laughs> it's just such an intense period of your life and you're so focused on it and the emotions are so intense that it feels like it's been much longer. So I can only have a lot of respect and feelings of support for people who go through this for years and years and years. The emotional weight of all of this, the invisible emotional weight in terms of having to think about it, charting it, tracking it, all of the doctor's appointments. It's just incredible how much it takes in terms of time and energy and emotions, which you touched on. Mm, yeah. So you got tested. What kind of testing did you do? And what was the outcome? How did that work? I'm not so knowledgeable, actually, on the medical process as you guys are in the US. So You'll have to forgive me if I'm not aware of so many of the details. We basically found that I wasn't ovulating. The doctor searched for different reasons why that could be the case. So there was a lot of testing. My husband is fine. There wasn't any particular type of diagnosis involved, actually. They're still doing tests today to see if there's any scarring that could be interfering. So you get this diagnosis that's unexplained infertility. And that will kind of be the diagnosis until they stumble upon an actual mechanical reason, so to speak, that your body doesn't function. It's been interesting for me also to become more wise about how do you deal with the medical establishment. And especially since I'm not in my home country, learning how to navigate that is interesting for me. So I've actually had my American husband to come along with me to the doctor in order to make sure that I ask the right questions and that I make notes and that I know what kind of medication I'm taking, what the consequences of those are. Yeah, so that's where we're at at the moment. We're considering different alternatives to natural conception, but I have a lot of doubts about that and my husband as well. And that's another, you know, hard decision to make. Do you decide that you'll do anything that you need to do? Or do you actually say like, okay, well, nature has decided this for me and I'm going to accept it. Where do you think you are in that conversation right now? I have no idea. I think it's a total slippery slope because we started out saying that if it doesn't work out naturally, we don't want to push it. Then you kind of get invested in the process and you're already in the hospital so often that just taking that next step doesn't seem like such a big step. It's a point where my husband and I differ a little bit because he's really protective about my health. And I know that the consequences of all the medication and the hormones aren't as well known as we would think. Also, he's had some friends who've had some bad experiences who invested years and years and a lot of money and time into all these processes and it didn't work out for them. 
So I think it's definitely colored by your cultural background and by your, you know, your views on, on life and health and also by the experiences of the people around you. And in this sense, it's interesting because I think infertility and the conversations you have with people around infertility are very similar to those you have when people have a serious illness and people will want to give you advice and people will have opinions. You know, sometimes most hurtful or funniest conversations with people who think that it's all in your head or that, you know, if you only went to yoga or, you know, if you just didn't work out because the baby might fall out during jogging or if you only visualized it with a drawing, you know, there's just a huge amount of advice that you're getting thrown at you that is just sometimes hard to digest. A thousand percent. I was going to ask you, and you've wandered into this, who do you talk to about this? And who have you told? And how does this affect your relationships? We've only told a few people in our circle of friends, mainly because of the fact that you get such odd responses. It's not even that I find the topic to be taboo. It's more that you notice that it creates a funny dynamic and people don't always say what you need to hear and that influences your relationship. There are different worlds between people who are parents and people who are not parents and very often we can say things about each other that don't show very good insight into the world of the other person. As someone who doesn't have kids, I can imagine that I've said many a thing that's not so sensitive towards the challenges of being a parent, or I haven't shown the right support to friends who have had kids, and now I'm kind of on the other side. I'm also feeling that sometimes you get comments that kind of damage your feelings towards a friend. You know, we often get comments about how fun it is to not have any children, not have any responsibilities. You know, the friend who told me it was in my head and I needed to just visualize it with a drawing and then the baby would come. These kind of things are not really beneficial. Like I, I want to have that advice unsaid so I can just go back to the feeling I had about this friend before we had that conversation. Those kind of things can be so hurtful. And I struggle with telling people what it does to me. I don't know about you, but being able to say back you know, that thing you said that was casual, actually, it was really hurtful. That can be really hard to do. So what do you do in that situation? How do you proceed when people unintentionally say such flippant things? Well, I think the most important thing is that I'm not judgmental about it, because I think everyone comes from their own context and their own situation. And I'm just thinking back to times where maybe I had trouble giving someone, you know, good advice. One of my very best friends, her child stopped breathing after 30 minutes after he was born and became severely, severely disabled. And it was so hard to support her during that time. And you try to find the best words and, and you can't. So I want to be a good friend also by how I am able to process mistakes that they potentially make and, and how they interact with me and hope that we grow together on how we talk about it. So how has this affected your work life and your professional life? One of the things that is interesting is that, you know, obviously the lean in Sheryl Sandberg movement of, you know, don't take your foot off the gas when you're thinking about getting pregnant or when you're pregnant. I definitely took my foot off the gas a little bit when I 
started thinking about having a child in the sense that I needed to ensure that I was able to run my business, but also take time off if I would be pregnant and I would deliver and I would want to stay home for a few months. And I started to make decisions based on that prospect. So I turned down some opportunities to go to Brazil because at the time there was a Zika virus and I thought, you know, let me not do that. That doesn't sound like a wise decision. Obviously, two years later, I'm looking back at that and thinking like that was ridiculous for many reasons, but it was also stupid from a business perspective. But okay, you know, I do think it was good that I tried to make a a decision that would have been the healthiest decision for the baby. As you go through the process of realizing like, oh, there might not be a baby, there's all kinds of challenges that you get on different levels. So there's the practical challenges you know, it takes two to have a baby. My husband also has his own business. They are trying to raise funds. They have huge challenges all the time with hiring people, getting investment, getting a product out on the market, getting traction, having a wife that limits your mobility in a way because you can't go quickly to that appointment 6,000 kilometers further because this is the week that your wife is ovulating isn't very helpful, but he also wants to be a parent. So you'll do that, but it's on both sides. It's practically a challenge. As you were mentioning as well, that, you know, it takes a lot of time for the tests, for the doctor's appointments, for the mental processing. Of course, also, yeah, infertility is expensive. If you're building a business and you don't have a regular income stream, it's tough. The prospect of potentially needing tens of thousands of dollars in order to even conceive a child, let alone raise it, is quite difficult. Then I think the mental aspects are probably the biggest. Can you explain? The most important thing, if you're starting your own company, is that you need focus. So you you have so many issues to solve. And when you're not focused, that's really tough to do. So if your mind is elsewhere half of the day, that's a lot of time that you're wasting. Also, I think it takes such discipline to keep hoping for the best outcome and to keep yourself from not falling apart. And I don't know if you know about these research that's been done with people who are poor require a lot of discipline in order to, you know, keep from seeing their lives ruined, is that discipline is just a mental resource that you have that's finite. And you need the discipline to keep making the right decisions and to keep thinking the best is just the bucket that's at some point it's empty. And I find it really challenging to wake up every morning and to know that you're going to have to schlep yourself through the day, so to speak. I think it's something that you learn from. I've definitely learned to be much more in the moment and not to look 30 years down the line and hurt myself by thinking about, you know, how I will look back on this period and, you know, what life will be like without children in 30 years time. And, you know, if you'll be alone in the old people's home, I've learned to really think about this week and this day and make the best of that day. And that was something that I really needed to learn as a person. I definitely didn't need to have this process in order to learn that. But, you know, if it comes your way, then it comes your way, I suppose. And I think one of the most interesting things is that I've always been a workaholic and I've gotten a lot of purpose out of my work. The work I do is very meaningful and I've lost some of that motivation at the thought that there is no family that I'm doing that for, which is interesting given that I've never really 
been someone who counted on having a family, but I find that the thought of building a company that does well so that you can support a child somehow gives you extra purpose in life. And I can see how it would also be a tremendous challenge to combine building a business with having a child. But at the moment, I'm looking at it also from the perspective of, hey, you know, it's tough to bring your child to school, to pay the school fees. You know, there's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. But at the same time, wow, it'd be great to have that responsibility on my shoulders because now you could look at your future and just envision it as like, is this total desert wasteland of like, oh, you know, what are we going to do? I think life is very much defined by seasons and by structures that children bring and all our friends and all our family members have that structure. And we don't. And again, that requires a lot of discipline. It requires mental discipline of saying like, okay, how can we build a meaningful life together if we don't have that family aspect? Of course, you're a family together, but yeah, you're going to have to find that purpose elsewhere. I don't even think that people are aware of how much these expectations and beliefs about what you're, quote, supposed to be as a woman really are embedded into how we operate. Everything from the contract of having a human body. And in the beginning, one of the assumptions that we make is that we have this sexed, gendered body that will do these functions. And then there's all these cultural expectations on you as a woman. And at some point, it feels like a lot of people share with me that there's this moment of the breaking of this contract. For some people, it's early on. Mm. You're born, you don't have an arm, maybe, let's say, or you have diabetes, or there's something that takes you out of the, quote, normal and says, oh, actually, it doesn't quite work this way for you. But for other people, there's this suspension over time where we get to carry these beliefs about how our bodies should work, how we're supposed to show up in this cultured society until we run into something that tells us otherwise. And what you are talking about in this podcast hits on this in a lot of ways, from the questions you were asking and people asked of you at, at age six and eight, to the decisions you made in your 20s, to even now with the rhythm and structure of family life, to the holiday calendar, to work hours and these rituals that we carry. If you had mm. a magical time capsule and you could talk to yourself at different ages, what do you wish you had known? Or what do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? Or I guess one way of asking this is, what do you wish someone had told you at a younger age? Well, I think I wouldn't have taken anyone's advice really on this topic. But I think in my 20s, I was working so hard, you know, such long hours because I thought that I would be less valuable if I would get pregnant and I would be pushed aside. And I think the reality is that that does happen. But I would like to say to myself, if I was, you know, able to tell myself at 24, not to worry about that, because having a child would be so meaningful, and such a big impact on your life that you can overcome that challenge. And if you don't, you'll have to find another way and you have to find a way that you can't envision right now, but manifest itself. I think I would also want to congratulate myself as a child from a young age already being aware of the fact that it's not a given that you have children. I think 
if I would have been a person who totally identified as a woman whose value comes from having children, I think this would have been absolutely devastating. So in that sense, I think it's important for people to know like, hey, you know, don't take it for granted that it will happen for you and make some wise decisions about your health, about the sexual partners that you have, about the relationships that you engage in, because all these things can influence your fertility. I think different exposure to these different stories would would definitely help. And I've I've spoken to women who are in their early 40s who are going through the same process. And I think they definitely kick themselves that they didn't start with the testing much earlier. It definitely also, I think, is influenced by the culture that you're raised in. So the country where I'm from, there's not so much awareness about medical issues that might occur. And my husband, being from the U.S., was much more alert to that. And, and he really pushed me to get into the testing early. Take charge of your, your health in your 20s and early 30s so that you are best equipped to deal with this if you want to have children later in your 30s or in your 40s. That's such an important lesson, and it comes in so many different forms. For example, as an entrepreneur, if you learn, well, there's no maternity leave unless I take care of it, part of it feels like the lesson here is don't wait. Yeah. Don't put it off. Take care of these things earlier in your 20s, and it's going to be up to you, so don't wait. Yeah. And being smart about that business-wise is so important because we wouldn't be able to do any of these tests or any of the fertility stuff if we hadn't saved up. I wouldn't even be thinking about having children if I didn't really have good health insurance. I wouldn't have thought about taking time off if I didn't have a disability insurance, which actually includes maternity leave. And these things, you can't organize them once you're pregnant. You have to have them in place a few years before because you can't insure a burning house. And the same goes for a pregnancy. You can't get insured for these things as an entrepreneur once you're already pregnant. The disability insurance is actually a very interesting story because I tried to get this five years ago and was refused by the first insurance company because of a file on therapy that I had received for a history of sexual abuse. And they said that I was a psychological risk for them and that they couldn't insure me. And I ended up getting disability insurance from an insurance company that was farmer women friendly. And they supported the fact that women entrepreneurs have a right to maternity leave, that they have a right to coaching and therapy if there is a history of abuse. I think getting your financial health in order to face these things is really important. You have to protect yourself your ability to make an income, your ability to finance your dreams and to finance, unfortunately, like little disasters, little thunderclouds like these. If you're not, you know, strong about your financial health as an independent consultant or freelancer or business person, you're going to regret it later. And I think regret is one of the most horrifying feelings to have in your life. I appreciate what you're saying so much. Even this idea that you touched on before and, and throughout this interview that it's like there's this attitude of doing the best you can within the given circumstances, but then not pinning too much on the outcome because it really is beyond your control. And if you hang your hat too much on the outcome, it almost creates more of this mm. this like cascading potential devastation because you can't control what's coming. All you can do is 
find a way to be within this uncertainty and even within it, find a way to plan, maybe even be meticulous within the face of uncertainty, but then be resilient and adaptable to the fact that things always change and don't go necessarily as you'd expect. Mm, Yes. And is there anything else that I haven't touched on in this fertility journey or that I didn't ask you yet? The conversation around how do you have conversations about this is interesting. My best friend's husband was diagnosed with very serious cancer a few years ago, and that was difficult to talk to people about. I, at the time, found this great resource online where people who had cancer talked to people who were friends and family and colleagues of people who were struggling with their illnesses on how do you talk about this topic. That taught me a lot. And so I think there's been a lot of public debate about how do you talk about gender? How do you talk about race, racism, injustices? I think we can have the same conversation about how do you talk to people who are, you know, facing infertility. I'm not saying that's all on the same level of issues to talk about, but I definitely think it would be helpful. So having gone through what you've gone through, what are some of your lessons learned about how to start this conversation and how to talk to people? What do you wish people would do or say? Like most situations, probably don't start with telling people about all the other people you know that it didn't work out for or that, you know, it didn't work out for and they were perfectly happy or it did work out for despite gigantuous odds. I know that's a very human reflex whenever someone shares a certain type of news, but it can be really tough. I had a friend who recently got pregnant, who was 45, and who emailed me to say that she was so sorry to tell me that she was pregnant because for her, she hadn't planned for it. And it was a complete miracle that it happened and that she was so sorry that miracle happened to her and not me. And I understand that she's trying to be really sweet. And so I told her I thought that was really sweet, but it actually hurt me a little bit because I thought, okay, if if miracles happen to other people all the time, you know, why doesn't that happen to you? And so asking questions is probably best. I think in that case, it would have been great to say like, hey, you know, I'm struggling to tell you that, you know, despite any expectation, I'm now expecting a baby and I'm somehow not feeling right about that. You know, how does that make you feel? You know, can we talk about it? Would maybe be a a better introduction. Those are such important notes. And that first thing you said about witnessing and listening to the actual person who is right in front of you versus comparing them to everybody else you know is so important. Mm, Yeah. I think the second thing that I would say is that there is a lot of unscientific (laughs) advice or there are a lot of tips and things that people give that just aren't realistic telling me it's in my head or that it's a chakra thing or that it's all about you know visualizing things or that if god wants it i'll be a mother you know i'm sorry it just it doesn't work that way it's actually a physical thing like there's just something not working 
And it's hard to, you know, a person who's not religious and who believes in science. I don't want to go into a scientific discussion with everyone. I would definitely hope that people understand that conversations around, you know, the fact that actually my infertility is my mental issue, not my physical issue, is not really the right conversation to have. One thing I would like to say, though, is that because I think it's very easy to complain about what people aren't doing right. But I had one response that I thought was just perfect. I had to explain to a client why I wasn't coming to a very important meeting. And I decided to confide in her. And I told her, you know, something is wrong with me and they need to check it out. And it's taking quite a bit of time away from the schedule that I would otherwise like to have. And she mailed back and said, you know, you shouldn't say that there's something wrong with you. There's a purpose in your life and that purpose, you can fulfill that with or without children. You'll find a way to to make this work. And if you don't, you'll find another way to make your life meaningful. And I thought that was, yeah, that was a really beautiful response. That sounds like it was much more helpful and understanding and in the vein of where you are right now versus pinning these expectations or hopes or beliefs on somebody. Yeah. And thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing so much of what is such a personal journey with everybody listening. It can be really hard to do, and yet it is so valuable for the people who are listening because if there's one person, there's hundreds of them. And that means that you are connecting so many other people to this conversation who maybe don't have many people to talk to about it. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate you putting this topic on the list of things to discuss about business and and families. Well, it's all part of it, right? There's not one perfect journey or one perfect picture, one path. There's so much. This is what this podcast is about. I want to capture these different stories as a means of reminding us all that we're not alone. And if we don't live up to this mythological ideal of what womanhood looks like, well, great job. Join the rest of us. It's very rarely true for anybody. And And even right now, there's so much currently right now today at this moment in time that I probably don't even know about. And I want to open the door to having these conversations and telling more of these stories, especially these untold stories of what it means to be a woman and to work and to go through all of this. Yeah, I think what's really great is that throughout all these topics, it's really about solidarity between parents and non-parents and employees and employers what can we do to create a world where there's space for people to raise great kids? And, you know, if you can't do that as a parent, then I can do that as an employer and I can do that as an aunt. And I hope that we can all just be good and kind to each other and support each other, whatever the journey may bring. Yes, bridging this gap between parents and non-parents as though like they're this diametrically opposed things and exactly 100%, 1,000%. Oh, I can't wait to talk more about this with so many of our upcoming guests, too. Great. So usually I ask people to share where we can find you. But since this episode was anonymous, I'm going to close by saying thank you so much. And I want to wish you the best of luck with your business, with your work, with your upcoming adventures in your personal life. And in the face of all the uncertainty and possibility that is still ahead, just to wish you all the best of luck. Yes. 
I will keep you up to date. Thank you so much, Sarah. I promised at the beginning of the episode to tell you a little bit more about the pumping journey and about how Aeroflow Breast Pumps works. They are the sponsor of this episode. So for all of you breastfeeding and pumping mamas, here is the info that you wanted. Aeroflow Breast Pumps makes the process of getting a breast pump covered through your insurance as easy as possible. They have dedicated and informed breast pump specialists to help you navigate insurance by taking care of the paperwork, the phone calls, and the prescription requests so that you can take it easy. They're available by phone, text, or email to answer any questions you have during this exciting time in your life. One of the trickiest things is the timing of everything. A lot of insurance plans only allow you to get a pump within 30 days of your due date. Let me tell you, figuring out when that baby is going to arrive and then getting everything done within these exact timeframes can be really hard. They take care of everything, including contacting your physician for a prescription, recommending the best breast pump options for you and your lifestyle, billing and processing those insurance claims, and shipping the breast pump to your door free of charge. The entire process is totally free. So if you want to work with them to get your breast pump, go to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup, and they will get you started right away. Thanks for being a sponsor of Working Pumping Mamas, Aeroflow Breast Pumps. Thank you so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First, if you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories of what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit it home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, if you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page and you can buy us a cup of coffee or two or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on StartupPregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.